Welcome to everyone's favorite podcast, It's Reclaimed Audio, with your hosts, Phil Pinsky, Bill Lutz, and Tim Sway. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Reclaimed Audio. This is episode 288 for May 19th, 2021. This week's top Patreon supporters are Lakeside Woodcrafter, Clingspore Woodworking Shop, Stu Morrison, The Godfather, Jimmy DeResta. Scott Turner, Greg Mead, Chad Grossclaws, Shane Bronson, Jeff Shaw, Infinite Craftsman, LiquidRC.com, Jim Bashirs, Paul Jackman, the boys over at Maybe I've Said Too Much, Creator Nader, Wesley Treat, Rob Ray, Darren Mattis, Isotunes, Tim Holliner, Ryan Ridgely, and of course, Gengi and Pop Pop Makerspace. Did your bell ring? I didn't even hear it. <laughs> ring? Yeah? Okay. It rang. What are we working on, Tim Sway? What am I working on? Um, I am working on a couple things. First thing I have to mention I'm not working on is what, uh, is what Maddie is no longer working on is her college degree. She has graduated. Uh, and so Yay! congratulations, Maddie. She's done with college. It's so exciting and amazing. Uh, so that's something that's no longer being worked on fantastic what, so can i ask what she got her degree in it computer stuff which she's already like doesn't, no doesn't want to do. she's already like i don't want to do that which is fine because that's not what it's about you know what i mean but uh oh. but like no you know having an it degree is like it's like having a this is the kind of degree is going to get you a job no matter what you want to do you know it's a pretty solid degree in this economy having a degree in computer science yeah a thousand percent. right you don't have to get a yes. job as like the yes. it person just the fact like oh you understand computers and can work on the front and back end of them <laughs> come on in you know that's that's a mm-hmm. yeah, val- um, very valid skills. Uh, I finished my great guitar build off build. Um, I'll have a video out about that on Sunday, and um, I took it to my friend Mick's uh, All Tape Sound Studio up in Torrington and had him play it. And then you know, and I was just recording on my digital recorder for some background music. But then we did a little little song together with it, just a little silly thing. So I'm looking forward to to releasing that and then seeing how that whole thing works. So that's a charity build. So I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to go for auction in June or July. I'm not sure when. I don't know how all that works yet. But So I'll let people know when I do know. Uh, the other thing I've been working on is getting my guitar truck ready for this Sunday, uh, May 23rd. Uh, there's a guitar show in Natick, Mass. And if you go to my website, there's a calendar. You can go to my social medias to get all the information and stuff. It's from 11 to 4. And I'm going to bring the guitar truck out there for the first time using it as a store. I've used it as a stage, but never a store. Cool. Um, so that's exciting. Awesome. Um, it's um, yeah, it's it's really exciting. Uh, so the, the, it's a guitar show. I've I've participated in this guitar show several times. It was always in different locations than this one, but the same people. And uh, yeah, so this one, like the guitar show, is going to be in this hotel. And I guess they have it sort of spaced out to a couple different rooms so they can really space it out. And it's still mass still required and all that stuff. Um, but I'm going to be right outside the front door. So that was the plan all along. You know, the first brand you see when you walk in, last brand you see when you walk out. And so we'll see how it goes, you know. Looking forward to that. That's cool, dude. Um, Best of luck. Thanks. Thanks. And, yeah, it's like a 100-mile drive, so it's kind of a long drive in that truck, but that's what it's for, you know. So, mm-hmm. and Vance wants to do it in the jump seat. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Should be comfy. Yeah. Um, the uh, See, I, I'm working on a couple acoustic guitars right now, and so I have a steamer. Um but there's some tight bends and I was having trouble 
um, bending. This might actually be a top, topic for next week. Um, but uh, so I ended up buying a bending iron. Um, what does that mean? It's it's like a big heated block of metal, basically, like a and it's got kind of a funky shape to it, almost like a um, not a French curve, like a Aralon shape, almost like a wing, like the profile of a wing. Um, and okay. so you take you can get wood wet and you hold it against this iron and you bend it around it, right? Like so, you just kind of and so force it almost it. like cauterizes the wood in that shape. Yeah, it heats it up and softens it, and and you can kind of bend it, and so. Okay. Like if I don't you, think it cauterizes it. No, it doesn't cauterize it. It just no, it's not right. Okay. No, it just um, it just. So heat, you're like it's a heat set almost kind of thing. It's like steaming. Like you know how you you can put wood in the microwave with water, or you can put it in a steamer, and it steams it and makes yeah. it soft. Um, you don't have to do that first. You can just spray this with water, and then it's quicker. But it also you can. Yeah. It's like if you pull it out of the steamer, it's tough to get some of these really tight turns, like the little sharp horn on a guitar and stuff. Like it cracks a lot there and stuff. And with this, you kind of stand a better chance of slowly and evenly heating and bending and heating and bending and spraying it with water and heating gotcha. and bending. And you can get those really, really, okay. really tight turns. Um, like I really see tight. How that works. It's really cool. So I started messing around with that, and now this acoustic guitar project that I wasn't too happy with is um, starting to look like it might work. So, <laughs> so now I'm like really happy with it, and this is something I want to do more. I want to get more into making acoustic instruments, partly because of the truck, because I feel like it, uh, the truck would be a great stage for acoustic bands. But I sell all electric guitars on it. You know what I mean? So like I want to, and I just hmm. my personal interest. I, I like acoustic instruments. You know. Um, so true or false? Let me ask you this question: yes. True or false? They recommend that beginners start with acoustic guitars because they're actually harder to play. It's, and so that's when you all, play an electric guitar, it's all nonsense. What's that? It's, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's they're different in some extent, but it's not really harder. What, what's harder to play is a cheap guitar, uh, and I strongly recommend starting on a cheap guitar because then when you when you make that because there's this point in learning anything, it doesn't matter whether it's music mm-hmm. or business or whatever. Like there's this point in learning where like you you have all this progress and you get to this sort of sticking point, right? And that's where you're like, I don't know if I want to stick this out. It's starting to get harder. Like my natural abilities are no longer taking me there. But that's also the point where if you are really interested in sticking it out, you get a new guitar that plays better, and all of a sudden, boom, you're over that hump, and you get all this new inspiration and stuff, you know. Um, so. And that you don't believe that would happen with a good guitar right away? I feel like with a good guitar right away, you have no excuses. Um, and, I and I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think learning on a cheap guitar is good because it makes you appreciate the good guitar when you do get it. I think that's it. Because I don't think you would like appreciate with any it. tool, right? I mean, you start off with a cheap table saw, get a nice one, and you're going to really love the fact that you have a nice one. Exactly. You wouldn't appreciate your that. table saw, Phil, as much as you do. You did. I know. Go ahead. Take a minute. Take a minute. Take a breath. <laughs> you wouldn't have appreciated as much as you did if you didn't have that other POS before it. You're 100 right. <laughs> well, and the, and the funny thing is, if you decide to get another one, you'll probably start. You'll say, you know what? I'll just get another smaller one, or I'll get a cheaper one to, to no, be. No, you don't think so? Mm-mm. He's drinking the cool no, ass. Hat? No, no, no. Listen, once you've graduated <laughs> college, you don't go. You know what? You know, what'd be fun kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give kindergarten a shot again. Uh, um, the last thing uh, I have to say, and this is painful to do again because I just did it a little bit in the pre-show, uh, but Phil Pinsky has been talking for years. I would say. About the work, Years, the yeah. WorkSharp three thousand, uh, sh- you know, chisel and hand plane sharpening system that he bought used somewhere, and um, and every time he talks about it, I say, yeah, you know what? I really hate sharpening chisels by hand. I'm not very good at it. It takes too long. I always just use sh- 
you know, my chisel's dull because I, I don't want to stop my flow to go sharpen them. I should get one of those. Then I look at the price tag and it's like, you know, they're 200 something dollars. Um, if you buy the leather stroping wheel, which Phil has also talked about ad nauseum, um, that, you know, it becomes more like 260, $275. And I was like, ah, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. So you like money. how Tim is, 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 is slightly inserting the Phil was right, but he's obnoxious about it instead of just saying, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Phil, you don't get talking about this. You're not getting a home right. run. You're going to walk. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. walk off home run. You're going you're to have to slide for this no, no, one. No, no. This is what we call in the business a backhanded compliment. Yes. Ah, ah. <laughs> but so, so Phil was right. I, I kind of started watching eBay a little bit and I saw one come up and I was able to get a used one is slightly used, still in the box with all the manuals and stuff. Um, and only like one piece of the sandpaper of each of the grits attached already. So just, you know, used once. Um, and I got it for about 200 something dollars all in shipped with the leather stroping wheel and stuff. And I was like, I don't have time to mess around with this one day. I don't, I don't want to read all these instructions, but I'll, let me just pull it out of the box. And I was like, well, let me, I'll just, okay, I see how this works. So this goes here. Oh, okay, so you can see you can just, uh, and then within 10 minutes, my four dull as anything chisels were shaving hair off my arm like like a brand new razor blade. And um, and I was, I had some woodworking to do with them. I used them. They worked better than ever since I've ever had these things. And Phil, you were right. I'm an idiot for not buying this this tool <laughs> Hardly. years ago. <laughs> My biggest problem yeah, now is I don't know where to put it because I don't want to like I'm like, <laughs> like I don't want to put it down low. I want to leave it on the table. Like, I can't. It's not going to get used that much. I got to put it, and it doesn't quite fit. But in aren't this. you afraid if you if you put it away, you'll negate trying to use it when you need to? I think I'm going to forget about it. Right. Right. You know. So, so I need here's to, like, what I do. Um, I. I screwed it down to uh, sort of like a, a plywood base that mm -hmm. also has a 90 degree, and it just sort of slots into my woodworking vise, and so that way mm. you can't move, you can't move when you're using it, and uh, and so it just sort of slides back onto a shelf when I'm done. I put it back in, into the woodworking vise when I want to use it, mm. and it's easy peasy. You don't like because if you're using it, in, and sometimes like when you're grinding. Like before you're honing, before you're sharpening, you're grinding a bevel, yeah, move and a if little. you push on it, it's gonna yeah. move. So I didn't want that, so I screwed down to the base. It works way better like that. But oh right, that's why I just do it. Basically, like iron. at my eye level yeah. shelf, the one I that's like my most used shelf. That's where it sits. Yeah. And now I'll talk about it soon, but it's it's very conveniently placed in my teeny tiny shop. Hmm. Yeah, that's um. I I do that with a lot of tools where I I bolt into a piece of wood so I can just clamp it to my bench, you know, real quick. Right. Yeah, it's a good idea. I'll do that. That, that's our hot tip for the beginning of the show. Imagine yeah. what's coming at the end of the show. You know what? My, the tip that I have for the later in the show is also about uses for little pieces of plywood that I have laying around. So, <laughs> Hey, now. Okay, nice. that's, that's enough for me. Okay. The gentleman from Connecticut yields the floor I to the, the gentleman floor. from California. Uh, the gentleman from California. So check oh, this not you. out. <laughs> no, uh, the, gen me. the gentleman. Um, so Steve Ramsey, please. Of course... Of course, I haven't really been making anything, but what did happen to me is I made a connection. I made a connection with Diami Plotke, who oh, yeah. after listening to episode whatever it was a while back where Phil probably was giving me a hard time about not having made anything for a while, um, Diami reached out and said, hey man, don't worry about it. I haven't been in the shop forever. It's just life happens and sometimes, you know, I would love to get out in the shop, but it's just not... So... Diami reached out, and if, if you don't know who Diami Plotki is, he's he's co-founder of the MWA, Modern Workers Association. They have a podcast. 
Uh, they've been doing it for, I don't know, twice as long as we've been yeah. doing it, probably. Uh, so you can check that out. But to hear from Diami, just to, just to pat me on the back and just say, you know what, Bill? It's okay. <laughs> oh, so the two guys who aren't doing any woodworking formed a club. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Muzzle tub to you both. I can't wait to hear your podcast about woodworking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. What'd you do? Nothing. You? Nothing. Great. All right. Good episode. This is brought Thanks. to you by HelloFresh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now, Phil, that you don't have a real man's shop, tell us about that little uh, dollhouse you're playing with. Go ahead. Hey, it looked cute in the picture. Okay. So it's it's made a lot of progress since the picture I sent you, you gentlemen. I've uh, I've migrated quite a bit of, uh, of stuff down there. So my tool wall... Um, so when I screwed the... I think it's a 5 eighths five-inch piece of plywood to the wall. That was the base of my tool wall. And then I would screw in all the tool holders to that. So I only had four screws securing it to studs. So when I took those out, I was like, cool. So I guess the plywood should just fall right off with all the tool holders, right? No, it did not. Half of the tool holders you screwed into the wall. Well, all the tool holders were longer than five-eighths inch. So every <laughs> single one was in, right. was in the gyp rock or whatever, the sheet rock, whatever you guys call it. Right, so I had to take off every single tool hold, every tool and every tool hold right, had right. to come off. So it was just a long process, but I took off every single one. But it was a good opportunity because when I moved it down into the into the furnace room, which is now what I'm calling the shop, um, I, I had an opportunity to rearrange where the tool holders went, and I reevaluated some of the things that were on there. And I was like, this doesn't need to go on a tool holder. This was really more of just like so, filler. So an opportunity so, to reorganize, yeah. Yeah, and probably make some new tool holders for tools that I didn't have on there or old ones that, I don't know, I really want to redo. So that's coming. Um, I pulled and, and I, I put up like a whole bunch of cabinets that I had built for the bigger <laughs> – the bigger shop. They're, those are down there, and I'm still moving stuff and cleaning up. It's, it's been a few weeks, but it's going to get done. And um, I feel like you want to say something. I have a suggestion for you. When you – I mean, obviously, your shop is never done. But when you're when you're in the space where you're like you feel like it's at the point where you, you know it's time to, you can actually make stuff in it or whatever, um, pull up the last tour video you did on your YouTube channel and pull scenes mm-hmm. from that, and then do a new shop tour video showing your reduced shop and explain some of the decisions you made and some of the cuts your, you made. Your last one was the 2020, so you also have time to it was, do yeah, a 2021. Yeah, it was recent. It was a recent one yeah. too, so it was yeah, pretty accurate. Was last year. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Uh, that might be interesting. And, you know, explain your decision-making process and, you know, and all that. You don't have to get personal about how your wife kicked you out of the garage or anything. I mean, you can keep it like it was your yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That's a good know. point. That's a good point. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I will definitely – I mean, it's not a lie if it's omission. Actually, I, I think you should um, get personal about it. What's, yeah, very personal. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is where I'm stuck now. <laughs> I can't even do anything. No. Uh, yeah. she's telling me it's like a Barbie dollhouse. <laughs> don't, don't encourage him. Sorry. It, it's, it is a cute uh, little, little doll, so. It's a nice, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting little space, and it's going to make me focus more on hand tools. And, and to that end, um, I did, quite a while ago, I bought one of those, uh, a Philister plane, they call it in the UK here, we, like a rabbit plane. And it's a complete one from Stanley. Like it's, it's a number 78, so it's like a, a bullnose with a fence. It's a complete thing with even with the, uh, with the I guess, what is it, the fiber cutter or whatever it is? Like the um, it's like a pre-cutter, and then and then you can make your rabbit because it's cross grain. Mm. And I also have a grooving plane that I bought from, I think, I think Richard. Didn't remember Richard who made us the um, who made us the mallets at at uh, Garage Guy at Pens making it. 
Didn't I yeah. give oh. Didn't I give you a couple of those too? I gave someone a, a couple. Of, no, um, I had I had my 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 grandfather's old molding planes. I gave to some of no. them to someone. No, that would be Richard Bragiel. Yes, I yeah, believe. Exactly. Garage guy pens. Yes. I was just using his mallet today. It's like my favorite mallet. Yeah, so I'm now using it. So I uh, mine has you know was just worn out, and I had kept his like on top of the shelf as like like decoration in the shop, like I did with a bunch of our stuff that we've gotten, and you know some of the things that Bill has made. Um, and um, anyway, so I'm using that one. But so I got the grooving plane from him, and I'm I'm going to clean them up and restore them. They're whatever one I got off eBay, and one was from him, and it still needs cutting. But and then the other thing I got were some of those. Um, router plane blades that Bill had sent me. So now I'm going to have an opportunity to to make a plane body for those. And uh, I'm really excited to do that because I think really what I'm going to be doing is transitioning a lot to hand tools. Mm. And uh, so I think this is going to be an interesting chapter in uh, in my woodworking. I still have I still have my chop saw. I still have uh, my track saw. So if anything is like plywood and sheet goods and anything that really needs to be done, like, you know, that kind of stuff, that's not going to be done with hand tools. You don't you work with solid wood with hand tools. Plywood is not a great use of, of hand tools, as far as I, in my opinion, anyways. So you know, if, if I have to do any kind of like that, it would just project, take you six weeks to you know get a handsaw and cut a piece of plywood in half. Yeah, and, and for what <laughs> you know, like I mean, like the track saw takes right. up no space at all and like zips through all that stuff. It just yeah, makes a ton more it, sense. It's not like you're doing this for some philosophical reason either. It's just no, you know, yeah, you can still use power tools. What, what's I funny, I, I think it, yeah. between the, the electronics that you're now interested in and the, the, what you build with that, um, that and hand tool work for the woodworking and combining the two, that's, that's almost like a perfect shop for what you're doing. It really is. So they really are now. So they're in the same room, basically. And, and what right. I'm hoping, and, and from my understanding, is that there's less dust that comes from oh, absolutely. hand tool Of course. Work. Yeah. Of so course, not none, but less. You, you use a planer like, instead of sandpaper every chance you get, and you have no dust. The only time you're gonna have right. dust is is like I mean when you're doing Sewing. cutting, which is very little dust, and sanding, which is a lot of dust. But you're right. You know. Well, so I'm gonna uh, so I'm I'm gonna probably invest in a better sander. I have a twenty dollar sander, and it's terrible. Yeah, hook it so up I to I the shop. One back. that's got better. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Better that's, sander, that's and the then plan. get get some real scrapers too. I mean, yeah. like I've Tim said, I've never used a scraper. Oh my so god! I want to use a scraper. Don't you have a square, you, you, dude? <laughs> I do have a square, and it's and it's still on my tool wall. I put it up there front and center. It's like really nice decoration. I promise you, you'll a love scraper. a scraper for for smaller yeah, no. projects that you and you and not having to take a piece of sandpaper to it because you can scrape yeah. it smooth, like baby butt smooth. It's oh my gosh. Dude. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's great. No, I, I definitely want baby butt smooth, so I, I will uh, I'll get one of those. I'm gonna build it out, see what kind of projects I do, and just really start investing differently. And and the focus of the shop is gonna be very different. This is not the same objective, right? Like before, it was okay. Can I make money out of this right. shop? Can I justify taking up the garage uh, and and make money with it and say, hey, you know, like yes, I took up this space, but I made thirty thousand dollars this year from woodworking, like. Yeah, yeah, but but now you're rich because you're unemployed. So now now this is back to just being a hobby that I can enjoy at my own pace. I'm not making anybody any step stools. I'm not making any whiskey boxes. I'm really just exploring the craft, and and I'm excited about that. I love the idea of seeing you make little wooden boxes and cases and stuff for things that you make on your electronics bench. I just think that's super cool to have those yeah. two, like especially if you're doing it all with hand tools, and then you have this like. Yeah. I just think that's a cool mix, you know. Well, it's an it's, interesting it's, mix. It's, yeah. I will get yeah. a 3D printer, though. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, you should get one of those. I am getting well, a 3D printer. So you make the cool little enclosure out of wood, mm-hmm. out of old school woodworking, right? The old school, the the the, the classic. Then you make right. the more more um, modern components that go in it. And then three three D printers, your on and off buttons and your dials and whatnots. That's cool. Yeah, keep uh, cool. keep the three D printer in another space, so you don't want that near anywhere near sawdust or dust. Yeah, yeah. And I then, agree with you. And then make your little CNC, build a glass box for it. So you just put the box over it, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So the, CNC, so the CNC is down there on uh, my old planer cart. Mm. Um, and, you know, I sort of felt a little, um, I felt a little weird about, since we are the reclaimed guys, you know, adding more plastic to things. But as it turns out, I did some research. The plastic that 3D printers use is called PLA. PLA. Yeah. At, at PLA. And it's basically made out of vegetables yeah it's not and it biodegrades it's not horrible um that was my biggest concern when especially when 3d printers first came out but then it wasn't too long into 3d printing where it's like pla became the cheap affordable way to to use plastic and um and everything is like almost everything is pla it's like that's the default now you know yeah polylactic acid yeah yeah it's not it's not i mean it's you know, obviously, still you're plastic. Yeah, you better but it's bamboo, not made but from dinosaurs. Exactly. Hey, let's 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 peel that onion, though. Technically, everything everything is organic. Yes, it didn't just appear out of nowhere. Everything of Earth is the, if it's natural. Yes, that is correct. Right. The difference no, not is not everything is organic. No, organic well, everything meaning is, stemming from cells of life. He means right? natural. Like well, we're all made okay, of stars. Organic's the wrong word, Mister right. Cells natural. of Life. What I mean to say is everything came from the Earth, so it's it's, it's all natural. The difference is, is the time period of when it came from the Earth. That's where it gets to be an issue is when you start like pulling things from one time period and dumping them in large volumes into another time period. That's where you have problems. And how long it will take for it to go back right. to the Earth. Because like that, I mean, that's but the, the biggest... Earth, but the Earth can withstand all of that. Well, to quote George Carlin again, this will be twice in this episode, the Earth is going to be just fine. It's the people living on it that are going to have problems. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's where Bill was going with that. Good point. Yeah, yes, I mean, come, you know, will, the Earth has survived ice ages and dinosaurs and meteors and everything else. We are like a we are like a, a you know stick in your finger when you pick a rose, right? That's the Earth right. going. Oh, humans. Oh, and they just <laughs> it'll just go like this and then yeah. throw it aside. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yes, we are definitely a, a blink of an eye in the existence. Uh yeah, and uh, and I played football last night, so I'm super yeah, Amer- sore. American football like, or Canadian like, football? Like real football, football or well, like flag football? So four on four flag football. But and, what uh, shape like was the, the ball? Sports, like a football, you know, not a soccer ball, a football. The dodecahedron. It's American gotcha. football. Gotcha. So the sissy American kind of football. football. I see. Yeah. His wife plays. European football, so he is therefore saying that the American style football is the wimpy one, which is different from what you would expect from a man of his stature. Girth. Yes. <laughs> it was ironic. Uh, so that's what made it funny. Yes. You're right. Super, yeah. super ironic. Yeah. But, um, anyways, it's like the first activity I've done in like 16 months. <laughs> and so, so everything hurts. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to next week. I'm actually looking forward to hockey coming back because from what we are opening back up again, curfew will be lifted next week, and things are we're we're starting to take steps towards deconfinement. So we're uh, we're opening back up. Our cases are down below 600 a day. Um, 50% of the population has had one shot. We're starting to do second shots. So it's really it's, Canada's uh, at 50% of the population already. Wow. 
I, I'm one speaking shot. about my province, Quebec. Oh, okay. I can't okay. speak about the saying. other ones. Ontario is still in, in trouble, yeah. um, but I think they're doing better now, but they were not so great. And the other provinces were better because they're smaller. They're more less densely populated. I, I read yeah. somewhere that my state of Connecticut was the first state to reach 70% uh, out of the 50, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, when are you guys? When are you opening back up? Do you know? Three three point one million people in Connecticut. Three point one million people. That's like half of Boston. Yeah, but that's Boston's not a seventy percent. <laughs> well, maybe it is. I don't know. Yes, it's also. Yeah, you don't know that. <laughs> well, so Tim, when are you guys? Eighty-seven percent of all statistics are made up. Tim, yeah. everybody knows that. Hundred percent of the time, but Montana has a population of like five hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. No. So. And Bozeman is like 300,000. Right, yeah. And, and then there's – and uh, Oregon's the same. It's like 3 million people in the entire state of Oregon and 2.9 million of them are in the Portland region or something like Portland, that. Portland, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, Tim, when are you, when are you opening up? Do you know? Uh, I think I think that my state opens up – today we're recording late. Sorry for being late on the 19th. And I think that's the day where the mask mandate is getting lifted. Um, of course, it's still up to businesses and discretion. You get into that whole gray area of like, well, is he vaccinated or not? And so, so I think a lot of stores are going to continue and restaurants are going to continue to have the mask yeah. mandates in place on their private property. But I think statewide, I think it's all, I think it was today. I saw the yeah. CDC said like, once you've gotten your second shot, that's when you don't need a mask anymore. Yeah, that seems to be the, like the going thing. Cause there was a concern at first, but I, you know, I kind of think that sometimes they just say this stuff just to keep people erring on the side of caution, which is fine. Sure. But, uh, you know, that, yeah. that seems to be the thing. There was concern about other strains and about whether if you were if you were um, well, Im- that's, immune, that's whether you could the, still pass it, you know, and all that. Yeah, but, that, it seems but, like that, but the other strain thing is why they said now if you've got both shots, you're fine. is because the testing that they've done have shown that you're not getting it. You're not getting any of the strains as long as you've got the two you're shots. Right. And you're not tra- you're trans- not That was a big concern. It's like you would, like, yeah. I would be immune, but I would cough it on my kid. And, you know, and that. Right. Yeah. But, and the idea yeah. of herd immunity is enough people can't pass it along mm. that they won't give it to the rest of the people who don't have it now. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Well, the, you know. Yeah. It's but the, the the question now, because of the variants, are saying that herd immunity is no longer seventy percent of the population being inoculated. It's now moved up to ninety percent of the population. So that's the scarier part. Wow. And the chance and and ninety percent includes that's kids. not going to happen. Well, that's impossible. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. very, right. So that's the challenge. Yeah. Especially yeah. since there's a lot of people who you know are questioning whether or not they're going to get the the vaccine. Yeah, I heard yeah. something this morning on my local news too that said, and then we can stop after this because this is a yeah, silly no, road. Not our podcast. <laughs> um, but I heard something that where businesses now they're going to be encouraged to figure out how to find out who hasn't gotten the shot, not to punish them in any way, but in order to accommodate them, right? So making sure I, I, it just seems weird, but they're going to have to identify people who haven't been vaccinated yet, as opposed to. We're you know trying to figure out who has been vaccinated now. It's like okay, we gotta we gotta identify those who haven't been because they're gonna be ones at risk still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? I think an easy way to do that is to have them wear like some kind of a, a yellow star on oh, an arm. Oh don't. Just... No, no, don't don't be silly. The easiest way to do that is just to put everybody in a room with the COVID, uh, the, the 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 virus, and we'll know who hasn't gotten the shot by all those who get it. I will say this one last thing. I think putting the onus on a shopkeeper to figure out who has or has not had the vaccine is ridiculous. It either needs it's not to gonna be happen. state. It's not going to happen. Right. It's impossible. Yeah. So it's either you do it at the state or federal level yeah. and have some kind of documentation that proves it or just abandon the idea because 
you know, the guy running the 7-Eleven is not out there policing who's had a vaccine. Yeah. There should be, the owner shouldn't be on anybody. If you're a business and you want to say you can't come into my restaurant unless you wear a mask, you can do that. If you're an airline and you say, I want to see your little vaccine card before you get on my airplane, right. you can do that. But it shouldn't yeah. be workplaces uh, trying to out who is or isn't. It shouldn't be the state trying to give you a specific passport or anything like that. It's like, eh. I don't know. I like the idea of the passports. But like but everybody's got a card that shows you don't need a passport. You got the card. So then use that as the passport. That's what well, yeah, I just don't want it to be uh, state mandated, right? Okay, make it federal then. I mean, who cares? As long as you've got a thing that says that Communist. you've got the vaccine. To rep, to like, great. you got right. that one guy who doesn't have a vaccine and he's walking into your and he infects everybody. Great. Not me. Yet. No, I got my shots. Okay. Okay, hey, hey let's do our... It's not 100%, but that's fine. Let's do our podcast, uh, maybe. Should we well, do a podcast? Yeah. Well, Tim, why don't we do this? Um, why don't you get us going? Because I still don't understand your idea and how it works. And you have a, an, an amazing way of explaining things. So have at it. Okay, to, to go back to George Carlin, because uh, <laughs> maybe that should be the name of the episode. Um, I, had heard, I heard a musician paraphrasing George Carlin today. Um, and I thought it was uh, kind of an interesting way of looking at like art. And so basically what he was saying is you know, what George Carlin said, what, what the musician said George Carlin said. So I'm probably getting this totally wrong. George Carlin fans, I apologize if I you know, mischaracterize some of the things he said. But he said basically he would go out on stage every night and he would draw a line. And he would make a joke that was so offensive and so far out that it would instantly make the audience aware of the fact that, that, that George Carlin's on one side of the line and they're on the other. He would like separate himself from the herd that way, you know? But then throughout the course of his hour-long show, he would slowly and gradually bring them across the line with him to get them to, the, to his point. Because, you know, he was a very, obviously, um, uh, controversial uh, comedian, you know? Um, and so by design by design exactly and that was that was his mission was to get these people to think differently and look at things differently than they were when they started and uh, as Phil astutely noted when we were discussing this in the pre-show that's that's what art does right you know and um, and art is it's titillating you know where it tries to to, to grab your attention and sometimes you know in ways that are not necessarily practical or or anything like that but it's to get you thinking about things and looking at them from a new perspective and um that's kind of, I think, what some of us are trying to do in, in the reclaimed woodworking world, right? Um, so uh, I was kind of thinking about some of the things that we've done. Uh, or, you know, I mean, I guess I'll speak for me. I won't speak for you guys. But, like, you know, I make some of these videos. Like, I make a, an Eames chair out of satellite dishes. I don't think that I'm making a chair better than the Eames did by making it out of satellite dishes. My point is to go take something and go to this like kind of s ridiculous extreme to show the usefulness of this material that people are seeing as non-useful. And then you walk it back in practical, you know, life. And so like my most recent thing is I've been on this holocord door kick and I do things where I make like an entire guitar out of holocord doors. Is that the best way to make a guitar? Of course not. But then what that I hope that that would do is inspire people to s the next time they're working on a project and they need some, sh you know, sheet good. They go, oh, well, I could just grab a piece of holocord door and use that for the bottom of my box instead of going to the store and buying a sheet of plywood you know and things like that that's the idea is to make it acceptable and to to draw this line and do something so far on the other side of the line that you don't see yourself joining me there but then the next thing you know i got you you just saved that closet door <laughs> so that's kind of what what i was thinking about um when i heard that and i was wondering what you guys thought of that uh i i don't know that 
I, I don't know that I have gone to that extreme to make a point because I think you are the godfather of reclaim. Um, however, I have gone out of my way to upcycle something and make it very obvious that it's an upcycled item to make to uh, to take uh, one of my favorites as I and I still have a couple, but I've made I took it's a little it's called a salvage drum and it's bigger than a five gallon bucket. It's um, stainless steel. It's it's yellow. It's got the word salvage on it. And what it's for is if you have a five gallon bucket that's got nasty in it and it starts leaking, you would put that into that salvage drum and you can right. close it off. Right. So it's it's slightly bigger than uh, like I said a five gallon bucket. It's like a miniature 55-gallon drum. It's metal. It's got a top on it. Well, I've used those to create little coffee tables and end tables. It's like, well, I know it's an end table, but I also know that this is something not only does it say salvage on it, and it's kind of rusty, and I left I left that on there to, to make a point. It's like, here's mm-hmm. here's a table made out of something that says salvage right on it. You know what I'm saying? So reclaiming or upcycling something on purpose, to, to again, to make a point, I've done that. Have I? And, and I've tried to actually make it very practical and very useful, you know, because I just have it like the, the satellite Eames chair. That to me was much more art as opposed to where I made a thing. I made an actual piece of furniture. Right. That, I, would, yeah. I would argue that that salvaged end table, you know, five gallon bucket sleeve is as much art as the Eames chair because it's, it has a message. It. It, uh, it draws people in. It has people asking questions, which is ultimately what art should do. Mm. And regardless of whether or not art is useful or practical, you know, that's a side effect. That's, that's something else. I, th- I think that's something that a lot of us in this, uh, you know, sort of, if you want to call making woodworking art, you know, that's what a lot of us do. Is, and I know it's important to me is to make things that are functional, right? But they, I want them to be functional, but also draw attention. Um, and yeah, no, no, Phil is right. Like if you have this big, salvage can that you know this used to hold you know caught you know caustic liquids like that's like that's a conversation waiting to happen and whether i you know whether it's for one family like it's in one person's house and every three months you know pre-covid they'd have dinner guests and they get to tell the story about you and this thing you know or it's in an art museum it's still doing the same thing it's just maybe not getting the same amount of volume you know the same bandwidth i don't know if this is how do i do we think, or do you guys think, I do, that art itself is subjective? Oh, man. I feel like we had this conversation with Casey on an episode. Well, Remember not, not between arts and crafts. I just mean it's like where somebody would not see something at all as a piece of art. It's like that's not art. And they just walk away from it. So, But they would see something that maybe you two would not look at, and they would think that that's art. So well, that's, and maybe I'm using the wrong word, but isn't that subjective? Isn't no, it's like, you're doing the right, exact mm. right word, and that is the reason why some art has value and other doesn't, and it's and it's entirely subjective because one art critic or one art person says, "This Tim Sway guy, I think he's going to be the next big thing. I see some of his work. I'm going to put it in my gallery, and because I am somebody who's known to have an eye for art, all of a sudden he gets picked up. His art." Starts getting purchased at higher price points, and it happens being overnight. So, yeah. so people don't know that it's actual art, but now they do because so and so said so. They they may not yeah. even know. They just they just know one guy said it, and that's that's in this case that's all that matters. But one influential guy is all it takes. His subjectivity is what kickstarted it. Right, but you know, uh, 
I've I've talked to a lot of artists in my life because I just I sort of run with that crowd, and it's it's always an interesting and, and contentious topic because to every artist has a different definition of what art is, which is part of what art is. That's what makes it so hard to define, right? And that's what makes it so interesting. But this one guy, um, his name his name is Tim. Actually, he was one of Vance's teachers at Nature Gear. He had this really interesting. Um, he was like. Well, I don't. He, I, he's. I don't make art. He's a teacher at this Vance's Nature School outside, and he spent all day with kids, you know, showing them what plants they could eat, and like, you know, experiencing leaves falling and tapping trees for maple syrup, and just like doing all these things. And he was saying how he didn't make any art, and um, and he was having this conversation with another artist friend of his, because this is the kind of things that artists talk about. I guess it's like, what are we doing with our lives, you know? And um, mm. and his friend was con- he was telling him, he was like I don't know if I can call myself an artist anymore I don't make art and his friend was like well no art is the intention and the way you live it's like it's like every everything you do and your intention behind it I know it gets floofy Phil's shaking his head a little bit yes but well. um, but so but that is that is something that comes up a lot in art is is art the 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 art the piece itself or is it the act of making the piece. What, what about I, no, the creative I, that that comes up with the piece? If if Picasso stopped painting, would he not be an artist anymore? That's, great question. Yeah, <laughs> great question. If you, if you stump both the of maker us, maker who doesn't make, are they a maker? Yeah, you that's where I'm going Annie. with this, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's where you're going. You're about to lose your moniker. You better start making something. You know, um, yeah. there's a place in Connecticut. I know a couple guys that work there uh, that makes like you know when you go to like a like a public park and there's this like 20 foot tall metal sculpture that shines and you can see your reflection in it and all that kind of, they do that kind of stuff. And so the name of the artist that's on it is the person that came up with the idea, but like they're the dudes that make it, you know what I mean? So like a lot of times when you see these giant sculptures, like the artist never even touched it. They like gave a drawing and made it out of clay at three inches tall or whatever. And they just, then they go to the people that know how to fabricate and they're like, make this so it doesn't fall and kill people in a public park. You know, mm. and it's boom. Like the architect versus the carpenter. Right, right, right. So there's like a whole industry in that. And so are those guys artists that are making that sculpture? Or is only the guy that, that handed him the cocktail napkin with the drawing? Is he the only artist in that situation? You well, know what I mean? It gets. So, so how much so of the I was, Sistine Chapel do you think Michelangelo painted? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was one dude. It's a yeah. big ceiling. No, you know what? The bathroom wall looked great. He, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was in chiffon blue though, and it was yeah, done yeah, in '83. Clouds, you know. <laughs> so, so doesn't it come back to subjectivity though, right? Because now you've got a person who, who creates this art piece. That's uh, that's a remake, but the skills that go into being able to do that. Right, and it, like art versus artisan, like these are these are words. Yeah, artisan, artisan, exactly. Right, it's. You know, I have to tell you, I think the guy who who or the person whoever it was who birthed the idea, who was the inspiration, who inspired it, who came up with the idea and made it three inches tall and say, yep, I see this. He's holding it up to the horizon and he's saying, Bill, I'm not a welder, but this is this is the thing. Make it exactly like this and make it 20 feet tall. Mm. Go. Well, so he would be yeah, the, the artist, artist. that yeah. created that. Th- he would be the artist that came up with that thing, right? But right. would I be considered an artist if I could actually weld enough metal to make this 20-foot-tall sculpture? I think I Yes, think. and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly why. He didn't say how to make it. He didn't say rivet here, weld there, brace this, don't brace that. Your art is in understanding the material, mm. how it works, and how it'll interact with the elements and, and so, the scale, of and course, some the might, weight. Some might call you the artisan in that case and not the artist, but I don't really yeah, see much of a difference. A I don't see much of a difference personally. I don't see, I don't see a lot of difference. I think there's yeah. giving credit where credit is due, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm creating this thing inspired by 
uh, for example, my bicycle lamp table that's still in my living room, I would never have made that had I not seen you make a table out of a bicycle. Well, you know, that comes to like a really good point too about uh, like collaboration. Like every idea is birthed out of ideas that came before. Like nothing is, you know, artists don't live and work in a vacuum. They don't just like go into some blank white room and they come out. Right. Everything's related. I I try to teach that to my my son all the time. You know, he's like looking for these. It's like, it's okay. You're not stealing someone else's idea if you're using it to make something else. It's like you're stealing it if you copy it. Right. But if you, if you take their idea and you make your own version of it, and that's what all art is. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like your bicycle table. Like, like you wouldn't call me the artist of it. Like, you got some inspiration from someone and you made your own I, version. I still have a hard time even thinking about myself as any kind of an artist. However, that table does anybody that walks into my living room that's not seen it before, they immediately is like, is that a bicycle? Well, it was. <laughs> mm. you know, it's a tree stump and it's a bicycle. And it's, it's now a swivel-headed lamp table. Of the, of the three so. of us... And I, and I, I mean, I'm the one that calls himself an artist, right? Whatever, you know, it's, it's a word. But of the three of us, like Bill, I, you're like the, like probably the most artist-like of the three of us, honestly. And I think it's because you don't consider yourself one. What you're doing, and this is going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, you kind of laughed at it about saying art is intention, right? Like, you're not going like, I'm an artist, I'm going to create art. You just go, I have this intention of, I have these things, I'm going to make this thing. And, and I don't, there's not a label on it, there's no there's no meaning. So much of it, like, art is like, well, you know, this painting represents the struggle of the, no, it doesn't. You want to paint a bird, you know, pooping on a car. Like, you just, you want to paint that. <laughs> and you made up a story afterwards about how the bird represents the 1%. And that's all. Sure. And that's like, that. that's a lot of artists like that. I always laugh when I go to museums and I read the blurb underneath it. And I, I make fun of them. Yes. Like, Why? I'm just like, this is nonsense. They, they asked him for a card and so they made up this card. They just wanted to make this. And Bill... Probably wasn't even written by the guy who made the painting. Half the time. And if it was, it's like, you know, it's just a lie. Because I, you know how I know? Because I've written those cards. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, but, but Bill, you don't have any of those pretenses. Like, it's called outsider art. You know, it's like you just go and you just make these things and they're cool as heck. And that's, you just do them for the sake of them. And that's, that's art in its purest form. Until a gallery owner sees what he's done, right. calls him an artist, and charges these things for like exorbitant sums of money, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Bill's an artist. And ruins Bill. Yeah. And ruins Bill Same. and his yep. humility. Yep. Because um, he's, he's, so, he's will, the best at being humble. He's the humblest. <laughs> I will say that uh, I'll make the last point where we talked about whether or not art is subjective. You take a look at somebody like Picasso, who ultimately died mm. miserable and penniless, and his art was really only recognized after he died. And and that is usually when artists. No, that's not. That's, Van, that's Van Gogh. Picasso actually was. Oh, pretty, Van Gogh. Yeah, uh, Picasso. He was like the guy. He was like signing, drawing doodles on his restaurant checks and handing them in and not not paying for things. He's like, you know, <laughs> he did all right. But even Picasso's pictures, he looks miserable, just smoking constantly. He's just a in crabby old Parisian man. Apartment. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah, Van Gogh. But the point actually, being is that usually art becomes most valuable when the artist is dead because then the art is limited. There's no more that can be made by this person. Uh, you know what? There's another side of that too. I'm sure I mentioned it before, but I, I sold some stuff to an art dealer. I, I was at an art show and I had my stuff, and this art dealer said, um, "He's like, this is the only th- art that I've seen in this whole show that I consider to be interesting." And it was like a table and chairs that he bought for me. You know, which was kind of interesting. Like he saw it as art, and it was really flattering. So I delivered it to his gallery, and he had this whole gallery where he does art auctions. And um, he was showing me stuff and explaining the business to me. 
and uh, and he was saying that basically like he's like I don't work in breathers he called them like any artist is still alive because the the market is too volatile because that one guy says hey this is great and then the market goes crazy but he said when when the painters are old and dead a they don't have to none of the money goes to them he was like very honest about it he's like so you know now that like like van gogh didn't make any money but all these people make millions off of the guy it's just a commodity now that someone created it's a bitcoin you know that can't be that can't be remined and so now and there's a lineage of value of it being bought and sold over the course of you know several auctions hundreds of years or whatever so now it's a it's a a, a commodity with a history like you can chart the dollar you can chart something on the stock market and that's all he would deal in. He wouldn't take Bill's table and like the table I, I sold to him. You know, I was like, "Oh, what are you gonna do?" I kind of made a joke, which is how the conversation. You're gonna sell it here for a million dollars, haha. And he's like, "No." He's like, "You're still alive." He's like, "This is just a table." <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> nah, I just needed to support someplace. Yeah, to he's sit. like, "Yeah, no, it's just a cocktail cocktail hour. That's all." <laughs> Sweet. Um. So then, so then, let's let's get back to the sort of the origin of the of the conversation was. What have we made, and maybe we're capping it off with, what would we make to pull mm. the line further away from normal to get people to use more reclaimed in their work? Like, what's the, what's an inspirational... I'll make it easier. What's an inspirational piece that you would love to make to push the envelope and inspire people to use more reclaimed? I'm going to start with Bill, because he's got one eyebrow up like The Rock. Um, I'm just I'm just trying to think. Uh, so that comes down to like material selection, right? What I, I wouldn't even think about what to make it, but it would be about what you know. Like Tim's got his hollow code doors. Uh, with that, what can you make with those things? So if I was, uh, I like this question a lot. This is kind of what I was hoping for. Yeah, it's kind of what I was hoping for. <laughs> you ins- you inspired this, my artistic friend. <laughs> um, that was a fake laugh for the audience at home. Yeah. So I would think, because one of the things I haven't done enough of that I like really doing is welding. So I would say, what can I, and not bed frames, because that's that's not played out, but it's like that's an easy answer. And I'm trying to come up with something that maybe people haven't thought of. What can you reclaim? What can you dumpster dive for? What kind of metal can you dumpster dive for? Fence sections. I was thinking chain link fencing, right? Somebody, somebody buys fence. a house, yeah. it's got chain link fence, they don't want it anymore, they pull it out, right. it's in a big pile. Perfect. Yeah. I would love to come up with some kind of a sculpture, a table, uh, anything, chair made out of chain link fence in the poles. Would yeah. use it as giant chicken wire for some like insanely huge paper mache. Oh, that's fun. My first thought that came to mind is like a, like a, a, a lounge chair, or Adirondack chair, but stretched mm. with the the chain link as mm. the canvas, as the That'd be uh, fun. Yeah. right. It's a substrate for That'd sure. Be wicked uncomfortable, yeah. but cool. Well, not necessarily. Well, you put something on top of it yeah. because you could put yeah. like reclaimed wood slats over right. it. Just or even make a you, you could even put just a cushion on top yeah, of it because it's yeah. it's 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 springy. It's, it's almost like the old yeah. beds used to be made, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like the I have a bed frame like that in my shop right now. <laughs> I picked up that has the the springs going for when across. he's in trouble. Yeah, at home yeah. for sure. <laughs> scrap metal. But. Those are the those bed frames. By the way, here's something that if you're gonna do it, do not do it. Um, part way so i see those all the time where people will take those old bed frames that have the little lattice work or almost chain link of springs on it right yeah, mm-hmm. and they'll, yeah they'll put it up on a fence and then they'll start growing vines in it and then they never finish so now all you have is this piece of garbage on your fence basically right right because they use it for to to like it's just like an easy way to make a lattice for some beautiful yeah. you know um some kind oh, of ivy or something ivy yeah. or something to grow on it, you know Kanye like, did yeah. that he made a spider's web out of um, 
at a rebar like that. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, so if you're going well, you know, to... Pe- people, they, they do that. They take the bed frame, they lean it against their, their tree in the backyard for the vines to grow up, but they just do they just do that. Paint it bright pink, at least. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, it, do something Don't make it look it. like you forgot to throw it away. That's all right, I'm saying. Right, right. Yeah. And clean off the pee stains, for God's sake, guys. <laughs> <laughs> A little pressure washer never hurt nobody. Honestly. All right, um, Phil, what about you? What, what could you make a statement with what material could you use and what, what would you make a statement with or how would you make that statement and then when it's you're done I'm going to task you so Uh-oh. go ahead and, and try and make it as obvious as possible because that's the point right you want somebody to see wow you made this thing out of that yeah so <laughs> that's tough but what I'm going to try to do then is I'm going to try to do something in and I'm and I'm really I'm like vamping right now but because I really thought I was going to give Tim his turn first so I could continue to think about it but I'm glad you forced <laughs> me to think because um it, it makes me think about who I am and what would I do with what I have and the truth is is I'm a dad of three young kids and they are rapidly outgrowing certain toys and so maybe what I do is I grab one of these old toys maybe um maybe a motorized toy and I somehow repurpose one of these Toys, Ooh, motors, I like into it. either some kind of a, a display, a signage display for a business, or create a new toy out of it for the kids. Um, but just sort of, we have all of these toys, and the truth is, a lot of the times you can't even give this stuff away mm-hmm. to um, to like thrift stores anymore. They won't take used toys anymore, especially during COVID. But even before COVID, they wouldn't take any un uh, non new toys. So this stuff really like once you grow it and you know my brother has young kids also maybe if he doesn't want it then it's really I have nothing to do and and the truth is you can't even recycle this stuff because it's mixed materials they won't even I got it's it. going to end up in a landfill. So oh you got something hit me. Dude what if you so what if you take a bunch of their smaller toys and you don't think about making it as a useful toy but make it an art piece Make yourself a transformer. Just start gluing all these Hot Wheels and dolls and everything together mm. with some hot glue and create a sculpture of some kind. Maybe a the Statue of Liberty out of a bunch of old kids' toys. That's or, cool, right? I mean, something that would stand out. Where it's like, wow, you just you just created a tree made out of Hot Wheels or out of Barbie dolls. Or I love that idea. I'm gonna take it into something that would be more acceptable at my house. I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> create a framed diorama that has smaller toys in it mixed in with pictures of my kids. Oh, there you go. At the, and the stages at the ages of life. where they use the toys. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, dude. It's a great idea. Turn each, turn each toy into a picture frame of sorts. That is your next wedding right. anniversary gift. You're yeah. welcome. And Yeah, she doesn't listen to this, so you're, you're still safe. You, you know what's funny? My wedding anniversary was two days ago. Oh, that's right. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. That would, have been, that would have been a great idea. You have a but year. What I didn't say was I bought my wife a bicycle because uh, she didn't have one, and she, so she's never gone on a bike ride with any of our kids, and two of the three are off training wheels. Um, wow. And so bike rides is always me and the kids, and so I thought, you know what? That's actually a, a great gift, dude. Yeah. And – and the challenge was was that I don't know if it's like this for you guys, but in Montreal there are no bikes to be had. Yeah, they are yeah, sold COVID. out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I I I pulled some strings and I was able to get her a decent bike. So uh, so I'm happy about that. Nice. It only uh, took a half a day to get done. My my challenge to you was similar to kind of what you came up with, but I was saying about electronics and I mean 
you know, with toys and just electronics in general, they just they get outdated so fast, you know. Yeah. Um, so the, the you know, how do we find a way to make these very quickly outdated pieces of technology usable again without having to just put them into the recycle stream because the recycle stream has its problems, right? And I mean, yeah. art is and obviously like I mean, like a thousand iPhones, you can do just about anything cool. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I mean, how cool would that be to be like a like your Statue of Liberty, but with a display where you change colors of it on the iPhone screens, right? I mean, you know, yeah, guy's not like, if it's two ten point three iOS or earlier, because then it won't work. Right, exactly. You know what? That's the frustrating <laughs> thing. I will tell you the the most frustrating thing with Apple is how they stop supporting things. Yeah. In my opinion, way too early. I must have like four old iPads for my in laws that are in great cosmetic shape. Yeah. Fantastic battery life. But you can't even put YouTube or Netflix on it, right? Because, because they because they're not thinking they about it. They're not thinking about they're they're thinking like a corporation. And I'm a fan of Apple. Like and they I, want you to buy another they one. They want you to buy another it's one. It's crazy to yeah. me. Yeah, and the amount of waste. So I mean that that that's something that you're getting to electronics. Maybe it's not finding a use for all the iPads in the world, but even just just you know when you when you like the, motors and old LEDs right, and things like that. Right, finding finding uses for them, like you know, like the hollow core doors. Like, well, you know, maybe make something crazy with them, but then they goes, well, you know what? I could use those LEDs instead of buying them, and you know, my my project or whatever. Sure. Um, and I just wanted to point out real quick, like you know, like I mentioned, well, we've all mentioned hollow core doors several times. Uh, you know, like I, I'm not done with we'll them. See. Like I have, like like I have still have to come up with something else though for this little thought process we're doing. Yeah, yeah, nice try, dude. What, that's coming with something other than hollow core doors? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we really so what, stretched what kind of material that's obvious that you could recycle and turn into something else? So you can say, oh, that used to be this. For example, and, and I'll give you a, an example what of you your doing? own He's got to come up with it. Yeah. No, I'll no, give no, you one. No, he's something he's go. already built. You made a couple of stools out of car springs. Yeah. That's actually what I sold to that artist guy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so but that's the idea, right? It's like, wow, that's, that's so a couple funny. of car right. springs. Now there's stools. Yeah. So that's a chain link fence. Now it's a uh, that's my kids' toys. Now it's a diorama. Go with with the 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 concept behind like pallets was you know like oh there's all these pallets everywhere they get thrown away um, and then now they're not now they're you know valuable and so that was why I jumped on the holocord doors and so I would go to the same dumpster that the holocord doors are in I think and I would start looking thinking about sheetrock. I look for something to do with with use sheetrock. That would be my hmm. my next thing. I have no ideas, but that would be <laughs> because that's like I don't know well, how practical a material that is. It's a very impractical material. Well, but we, with we've the, actually talked about this though. How you can bring sheetrock into furniture because it's it's stable enough to it's a material like if you if you're going to make a box right a, a display box. Okay. Yeah. It has a two by four frame, and you can sheetrock it, and you can paint it, and you can make it look like a perfect perfect little display stand or a box. You know what I'm saying? So mm. sheetrock, I think you could reclaim with it, but it's just like, what would you do with it? It wouldn't be... See, hmm. the face that Phil is making right now is exactly why I think that that problem needs to be tackled because, you know, every construction site has... I mean, never mind the new sheetrock going in where they have to cut eight inches off the bottom of each piece as they hang it and four inches off here and, and all those big pieces of the new. Yeah. There's also all the old sheetrock that's coming out and demoing it. And I think it needs to be thought about in a bigger way, like a like a like a factory type of a situation where this stuff gets repurposed in the new sheetrock, or I don't even know what to do with the that's old the yeah, that, that's if, the only thing. If you're to be practical, sense. the only thing to use that for would be to make more sheetrock. The gypsum in it could be yeah. re recycled into yeah. into more. But I, but I mean, what I like to think about is is the biodegradable rate of material. So for me, when when people throw away wood furniture. 
I mean, it's not super harmful to the environment because it's going to biodegrade back into soil at one point. But it means that new furniture has to be made, right. and you're using a lot of electricity to do that. Gypsum also, like, I don't think requires a lot of electricity to generate or whatever. It's a cheap material that's made very quickly, and I think it would go back to the earth very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm super worried about is things like like metal but mostly plastic that's going to go that's never going to biodegrade like aluminum cans are never going to biodegrade like you really you it makes more sense we get 70% of our aluminum from recycled aluminum because it's so much cheaper to produce so uh, yeah. I, a lot of I don't have an answer here but I'm just saying that a lot of my thought process is how quickly is something going to return back to the earth and that's the priority for the material to start reusing yeah plastic is the big concern cuz uh you know i mean it's just it's just a problem um, it's a forever thing. Yeah, it's um, and you know there are people who come up with lots of great ideas for doing stuff with plastic, and I mess around with it a little bit myself, and that would be something that would be worth looking into again because I I felt like the well, energy I wasted to to make my own HDPE bricks was just right, way and that's too the thing. High. It's like plastic can absolutely be recycled; it can be turned into new base material to make more things out of that same plastic. But the process is what's not very right. efficient right now. So you the process is something that has to be. I wonder if just I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Like, there's seven types of plastic that are commercially available. Mm. Um, they all have the recycling logo on them. But mm. the scam is only two of them are actually recyclable. I know. So most of what we put into the recycling bin just goes to the garbage, especially if it's dirty, it's got food waste on it, or if it's like one of these uh, Tetra Pak water cartons or juice packs that's a mixed material of plastic, foil, and paper. That's not getting recycled. Mm-hmm. So it really needs to be pristine, recyclable material, and most of that doesn't. Right now it does. Tim talks about all the time, which is find a way to reuse it. Mm. That's really the answer. Right, but but again, it's not. It, it it can't be recycled right now because again, it's too expensive to be able to use that material. So it's the it's the process by which these things can be recycled. What if we? That well, some of be, them just can't. What if we? Some of them just can't. Like five out of the seven types of plastic are not recyclable. I bet what they if, can. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever to do it. That's why no, they're not. No, because if you try to melt them down, they're not. They don't go da- back down. They're once they're polymerized. That's what they are. When you try to melt them back down, they. I, I still say we haven't garbage. come up with a way to do it yet. I don't think it's impossible. Maybe. I, maybe there's a chemical process that they can use to add to it, or, or maybe they, it or they can they can convert it up or down the chain. You know, I mean, like, right, right, right. like either way, there's yeah. way more material out there than possible uses for it right now. What might be oh, interesting? What I'm saying is, is reuse it rather than thinking that we right. put it into this blue bin and that's the solution. What What might be interesting to think about with it is, um, I'm just thinking about homes. Like, you know, you see the guy that makes a home out of all Coke bottles, like. What about yep. what about just because like doing the process of melting Eco and all bricks, that, they're called. right? What if we just crush this plastic into walls? You know what I mean? Just make like we use pressure and you know and just build. That's brilliant. The, there, there's something to be worth investing. Turn it into sheet goods. Yeah, there's a, a without true using st- all the energy. True story to, of a friend of mine's um, like, uh, parents when I moved to Utah, they had had property out there, and when they retired, that was the whole reason we went out there is because they were going to put a house on this property. And they ended up buying a, a modular home, and they set that up. So the yard, what he was doing to make the the waterfalls and all this stuff is he was uh, a little bit of chicken wire, a little bit of cement to make the outer core. But he was stuffing it full, making it look like a big, uh, big giant 
thick brick wall or, or rock wall or whatever, but it was basically mm-hmm. instead of being just hollow to give it the strength, he was stuffing plastic bottles mm. and, and he was stuffing right. it in there. He's veneering it. Because it'll last. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then, so, I mean, it's, yeah. There's things you can't do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm I mean, you could part. take that. You could take that chain link fence that we just took from that guy's property that he just tore his fence down, stretch it out to to build walls, um, two of, two of them about eight inches apart, and just stuff all the plastic between those two fences. Yep. And then now you got four feet of your eight foot wall. You stack them, do another layer. But I mean, there's there's some potential there. I'm gonna making make one blocks last point out of should, that plastic. We, big. We should move on. Right. But, but I'm going to say that the biggest scam that the industry has ever perpetrated has been pushing the problem downstream to consumers. Manufacturers are the ones who decided that we needed plastic in our lives, and it's a wonderful material, but they didn't come up with a way to to close the loop on it. Yep. And so they came up with, if you remember, they the put it on Native us. American... They put it on us. And so the the stop the litter campaign with the Indian who was crying because people were littering, (laughs) that was put out by the plastics industry to make you feel bad about plastic. They put the whole burden on us. Right. Right now, California's in a drought, and it's the same thing they're doing. They're trying to put it all on. Oh, you got to not flush as many times and don't take as many showers. And it's not it's not us. It's the agriculture. We'll continue selling all your water to Nestle, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Because I'm saying it's 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 actually the agriculture that California's huge and that's wasting all the water. Mm -hmm. It just is. And by the way, they talk about all the microplastics and the plastic in the ocean. And they try to tell consumers it's because you're throwing out six-pack holders. Guess what? 55% of that plastic is old fishing nets. Yeah. And yeah. nobody talks about the seafood industry. And uh, the, my recommendation when we get to that section, Bill, actually uh, deals directly with the, the fires and whatnot in California among, like, basically everything else. <laughs> so, something you might want to listen to. Here we go. Uh, let's go with, uh, you know what, let's mix it up. Let's do a weekly tip segment. Talk to me about your tip, Tim. Uh, okay, I had a quick tip. Woodworking. Um, Sorry. The, uh, I had to order some sandpaper, so I ordered from Klingsport. And they always have, you know, I had to get my discs or whatever. And, and they always have um, these, like, deals that, like, they have their, their you know, multi-pack of the sand discs and stuff. And so, like, I went to one of those, and they had, I was like, I'm just going to get some sandpaper. Let me see what they got. And they had these rolls. I think they're two and a half inches wide. And they're sticky on the back. Um, and it was, like, by the pound. It was, like, five pounds of sandpaper for, like, 20 bucks. Something ridiculous like that. <laughs> so so I bought it. And, and in the box came, uh, Clink Spore's awesome. Uh, in the box came. Did you get a hat? Like, uh, no, no hat. Um, it was 80, 80 grit, like 121, up to like 600 grit. There were like like 8 wow. or 10 rolls, of like all these different things. And so I, I bought it with the sticky back to it because I have like these um, these like levels that I put sandpaper on for doing guitar fret work. Um, and I usually just use spray glue, right? And I was like, oh, this will be nice. and just cut and it's about the right width. I was like, it'll be perfect for that. But so then the other thing I have is I have a couple blocks of wood that I would spray glue and take eight and a half by 11 sheets of sandpaper and, and spray glue them down to these blocks of wood. But now because I got these sticky rolls, I went, I grabbed a couple pieces of scrap wood and now I have from like 80 to 600, I have these like, you know, they're about 10, 12 inches long pieces of wood by a couple, you know, a couple inches wide. And some of them will have two strips of sandpaper on them. I just wrote the, the grit on it. I just peeled and stuck all this sandpaper onto all these blocks of wood. So I have 
little sanding blocks for all the little handheld things that I need to rub against sandpaper, right? So now I have all the grits. Whereas before, I had like the one block that I would use. It's I usually just I go with like 150, right? I have 150 glued under this thing that I, I drop into my clamp. Uh, and then when I was wanted to go finer, I just take the 220 and put it on top of the 150 and hold it with my hand and sand or whatever. But now I have a block for everything. And when one was worn out, I just peel it off, snip, stick it back on. No spray glue, no mess. Great, best 20 bucks I could have spent. Terrific. They, Amazing. They've been advertising. They've got uh, a new product now. It's a, a foam discs for your sander. Yeah, they sent me a they sent me a couple of them before. They're like right. kind of spongy, spongy sanding discs. Um, so it's a new platen, or it's just a Velcro disc that's got some foam on it. It's. I think. Well, Tim, you got it, so you know. If I from what I saw. What? Yeah. If it's what you're talking about, there was like a Velcro pad that you would. That had, it was okay. just like so a little. You're still, your platen is still rigid. Right, so it was a solid. There's no holes in it, and it just it was like a little eighth inch thick piece of like kind of like a like a foamy material with the sandpaper on that. So imagine using uh, that to do more curved surfaces curved and contours, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. So it won't like it won't flatten out. Like if you were like sanding like um I don't know like a knob, it wouldn't flatten out a side. It would maintain the shape. More right. so than a than a hard surface, yeah. I mean, it's still obviously right. you can still push down and flatten it, but you know, right? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Cool. cool. Uh, I have, I have another tip. Huh? I feel like you do. Yeah, do I it. do. And uh, just because I reached up and grabbed it, I save all of my prescription bottles. Mm. And oh, one bragging of the, rights. I hear you. <laughs> one of the reasons why I do that is because the labels on these usually peel off very easily. They leave no residue. You now have a clear little bottle mm. with a screw top that you can put stuff in it and see what you actually put in it. Great. Love huh. it. Right? Huh. So I, okay. I keep these in the garage. And, and like if, I, if I'm taking something apart and I've got five screws and i got to use those same screws to, to put it back together... They go in one of these little bottles, so I can see what it is. Oh, I can I write like on that. it if I have to that this came from my, mm. you know, little speaker that I'm working on or wh- whatever like that. So handy, Excellent. save your prescription bottles. I love it. That's smart. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, cool. I think we have one iTunes review. We review. do. We have one. Um, from oh, I like this one because it proves Bill wrong. Go ahead. From from MJ Part mm. de. The title is SES Drills and is a five-star rating, so we will read it, and it's very simple. It says, great show. I agree. Some SDS drills have three modes, hammer, drill, and hammer drill. Yeah. So, as it turns out, they all have that setting, and I probably would have been better off with an SDS drill, but... Yeah, there's no but. I would have been better off with an SDS drill. <laughs> but, but I already bought the one that I have, so I'm stuck. But yeah. I already bought the one that I have, and I drilled all the holes I needed with it, so I'll probably just hang on to it. Um, and it worked. It just, there's a lot of muscle behind it. And if you've ever had to step on a chair and lean with your whole body, and because Bill was right. Bill said that, you know, you really need, like, your hip. Mm. Like, the drill should be down by your hip, so you can really, like, put a lot of weight behind it, especially... Um, if it's not an SDS drill, and uh, but I couldn't do that. I had I had some holes to drill that were like you know seven feet tall, and I'm five seven, so I had to get up on a chair, and and drill up there. That was really a challenge, um, especially. And, and now you know all about it. those specific muscles in your shoulder and your neck. <laughs> yeah, I sure do. Very well acquainted with them. Um, yeah. So, what grabbed your attention this week? Let's go to that one. Um, let's let's stick with the Tim first. Uh, theme here 
So I've I've mentioned the podcast before. Adam ruins everything um, with Adam Conover from the. Uh, well, um, it's actually Adam Ruins Everything was the name of the show. Factually is the name of the podcast. But that was the name of the TV show he had. Uh, Factually with Adam Conover. And so uh, this week's episode, he had a guy on named Charles Mann, who was like this super interesting kind of polymath kind of historian guy. Had a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. But what they're talking about was a book that he had written called America in 1491 the year before uh, Columbus arrived because Columbus, yeah. you know, uh, um, the way that a lot of us in our generation were taught, you know, about American history is like the, the, you know, the people came over from Europe and it was like this, basically these vast wildernesses. Right. And, uh, and, and some native cultures here and there, but the, the truth of the matter is that there were actually uh, estimates of more than 60 million people living in the American continents at the time, which is about the same as how many were in the European continent at the time. Um, and when Columbus came over, on that first trip, like they were infected with diseases and that they, they couldn't fight, you know, pandemic type stuff. Um, and because the, at the time there's no understanding that like, if you were sick, that y- you could give it to someone else. And so someone got sick and then the whole family would go around and comfort them. And then they'd all get sick and then they'd all, and then they'd all, someone else would come around to comfort them. They don't get sick. And then this whole town would be sick. And so people would leave the town, go to this other town, like, Oh my God, that whole town is sick. And so in 1491, there were 60 million people, living in the Americas. And then, you know, about a generation later when the settlers started coming over, there were like less than 10 million. Like it was like, you know, it was, and, that, and that's the picture that that's the story we've always told is that those people's account of what it looked like here, all those civilizations were gone. All these trees grew up. They talked about there being forests so thick that a squirrel could get from here to Illinois without touching the ground. Like, because all of that farmland, but so, the, but all those cultures that were here for generations, like they were managing the land and they were doing it in a way that worked for the land. And like they were managing up until like the 1800s and 1900s, even there were like these Native Americans that were managing California to keep it from burning to death all the time, controlled fires and doing all these things. And all that knowledge got lost and taken away and, and, um, and prioritized or reprioritized. Yellowstone National Park. The, re- the reason it looks like that is because it was actually like a garden. It was like manuf- manicured that way by indigenous people for hundreds and hundreds of years. So even the like when we sit here and we do a podcast like this and we have our concepts of of environmentalism and of uh, you know, naturalism, it's based on what we thought of this land after these civilizations had cultivated and, and disappeared. So like when we talk about like preserving mm-hmm. the earth, we're talking about preserving an earth that was created by civilizations before. So like everything is like on its ear. And it was just super interesting to listen to this guy. Um, and, and it always kind of comes up with like that, you know, we're, I feel like people get upset about this, right? And I think that nobody's saying that we're responsible for the sins of our fathers, right? But we can't ignore them, and we can't pretend they didn't happen. And I think too often people just kind of want to say, like, oh, well, that was then. And this is just one of those cases, like, well, no, it, it's still affecting us today. Like, no, you're not responsible for the sins of your father. We get it. I'm not responsible for what Christopher Columbus did. But the world that we live in is a direct product of that, and we can't move forward until we understand it. You know, and I just it was well. The other thing is, is we're standing on the shoulders of giant, uh, standing on other people's shoulders and calling ourselves tall, right? And like, you know what I mean, like this whole process of the art, like about art being built off art. Everything in, in society and culture is built off of other things, and, and it's like we can't we but, can't just but, keep writing history books that erase this stuff and don't really explain it properly, or we're never going to. I think. I think. What's the name I, of the I podcast? Think that's again? that's stopping Factually, though, right? Because. 
what's going on is is that we're in the moment now so it seems yes. all terrible and mixed up but a couple generations from now or three or four generations from now people are going to look back and, and they're going to be saying well this is when we were actually learning and figuring things out right just like we can look back at, at some things right now all the stupid and silliness that's going on today it, it's still we're, we're doing a lot better than we used to uh, we got a long way to go it's always yeah. going to be that way we're doing better right. than we used to we got a long way to go 100% agree. And and it's like when I hear things like this, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I know that what I was taught in middle school about Columbus and stuff, I know that's BS. Like, I'd, that's not new to me. But when you start realizing, you can look at these people that, that really do the research and like the level of BS, it's, it continues to be like a, it's like, it's like, what? It's like, you well, know. And, and it's going to continue to be more and more common knowledge to where it's like, we're now, again, when we see, like you said, when you look into it and you're like, oh my God, the amount of BS it was. Right. Well, that that's it. That's not going to be that way in, in, in not too distant future. There was, there was an episode of The Simpsons where the, um, the founder <laughs> I love how of Phil's the going to bring in The Simpsons. That's great. There was a fa- the founder of Springfield is Jebediah Springfield Springfield right, and and as it turns out, he wasn't this like wonderful person that everybody is taught in school. It turns out he was actually a a pirate and he was a terrible person and a murderer. And Lisa discovers this. Yeah. And the the uh, the person who runs the Jebediah Springfield Museum also is aware of it, but has been hiding it. And as it turns out, the the life lesson at the end of it was, people needed that story. So regardless of the truth, I'm not saying that we should hide the truth, but I'm saying is that sometimes these stories are important as stories, and they're not important as truths. And it's important to understand where these stories sort of fit and help us understand our history. Is the point I'm making there. I think I disagree. I, I think I, you can't think wipe away, wipe away the the stories without wiping away some of the history as well. I think that the story wipes the history away already, and we're trying to recover the history. <laughs> See, I, I I hear what you're saying, Phil, and I and I kind of and I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why we need the truth? That's 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 what it comes down to, right? Because if the story the of, of so we don't repeat it, yes, I mean that's, right. But if you're not if you're not at a point where you're repeating being a horrible pirate, right? Mm-hmm. You're just you're just living off the idea that this is a good person. He started this beautiful town, and everybody's living Shangri La. Okay, great. Why why come up with the truth? What's the point to it? Sometimes sometimes the truth isn't necessary, is what I'm saying. But that's sometimes it, it is. Like he, ins- he inspired, like in this show, obviously, which is fiction, he inspired people to do good things in his name. That's what I'm and saying. had they heard the truth about who he was, I, I, their actions would have been hollow. I, I get what you're saying. Like, there's, uh, well, you know, MLK is a great example of, uh, you know, that, that, you know, he inspires all these people to do great things, but then there was <laughs> some darker sides to him. Like, do we need to right. focus on that? Right. You know. I, I but, mean, uh, so many historical figures were, you know, you can paint them in that same light because people are just people. Yeah. There's no one person who's, you know, like covered in a halo of light who's a wonderful, amazing person. Right. Everybody has a dark and a light, and you yeah. choose to focus on the part of it that inspires others to do good. I, I get I get and agree with what you're saying, um, but I think that's a little different than erasing the, the genocide. No, I think that's a little different than erasing the genocide of 50 million people. <laughs> well, some of it it wasn't some of it was genocide, but some of it was just plague. Well, it was it wasn't actually no, it wasn't intentional genocide. It was just it was just disease. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the intentional genocide was a much smaller number. But um yeah, but it was it's still, still it, not great. But you because, know, we're so living basically we're we currently can agree to living disagree about the things we agree about. 
We're, yeah, I mean, I don't love my point either, to be honest yeah. with you. I'm not hard and fast on this. Sure, but, but I mean, we're, we're currently living in a, in a global pandemic, right? So it's not like this yeah. is un, unrealistic, you know what I mean, to understand. Right. Like, that this this not happened. The, the way he, the one guy put it is that the, the the global pandemic has been affecting Native Americans for 500 years. Like, like it was a problem until the 1930s, like, that they were still having immunity issues with all the diseases. Where There was a story about, I didn't hear it because I was working a little bit, the Hawaiian king and queen... Um, were concerned about America taking over Hawaii, so they formed an alliance with Britain to, to get some protection so America wouldn't just envelop Hawaii and take away their culture. So they traveled to Britain to sign this treaty, and they got the measles. And that's why we have Hawaii. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's a really that's great insane. podcast. I absolutely recommend listening to it. We talked enough about it, but... Okay. Yeah. Let's... Um we'll grab my attention this week. It's going to be a little less um, esoteric. <laughs> Uh, John Heise uh, made a portable drill press out of plywood and, and a drill. And, uh, I saw and it's, that. It's very relevant to uh, I perhaps will build this project oh, because yeah. it makes sense because I don't have a drill press anymore. And I still nice. want to make straight holes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Our websites, williamlutes.com. What, what caught my attention this oh. week, you ask? Build it and go. Oh, okay. Go ahead. We're crying out loud. So there's, there's a couple of things. One of them is um, uh, I was a big fan of Sons of Anarchy, the show. If you don't know what it is, I don't know if you can stomach it. If you do know what it is, it was pretty amazing. There's a spinoff, and it's called The Mayans. And I just didn't think I was going to want to watch this show when it came out because it's on the, uh, the four seasons about to come out. So this has been on for a while. And I haven't watched any of it because I thought it's not going to live up to the Sons of Anarchy. And uh, it does. And Casey and I started watching it. And I got to tell you, it's a weird experience to be... And I'm just going to focus on this one. I won't even do my other one. It's a weird experience to be rooting for these murderers who deal drugs and trade guns, right? But you are. Mm -hmm. You're rooting for these guys, you know? You see the stories. Every mafia movie. Every mafia movie, right? It's just like you see the story and this is so... It's almost what's what I find realistic about it is it gives you a, a, an idea of how somebody can end up being or having to choose that lifestyle as opposed to wanting something else. So anyway, yeah, it's awesome. It's a motorcycle gang. Uh, it's a Latino motorcycle gang. The Mayans, obviously, it's based. These guys are in Southern California, right up on the border, and they're going back and forth. And it's just it's an amazing show. If you if you haven't seen it, uh, it is graphic. It is for real. Big boy pant adults. Uh, What's so. the platform it's on? Uh, it is. Um, no, 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 no. What is it on? I'm not sure, but it's live now on like I don't know if it's AMC or it's not AMC, but it's something like that. Maybe Peacock or okay. something. I don't know. But look it up. It's it's yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I know what you can watch the previous seasons like on Prime or one of the one of the things like that. Cool. <clears throat> okay. So go ahead, Bill. Um, our websites are williamlutes.com, newperspectivesmusic.com, guineapigtanks.com, squaretools.com, which I got uh, my, um, what did they say, dented, blemished <coughs> one today? Actually, uh, Tim had a cute little, Scratch and cute little uh, <laughs> Tim wrote on mine, he wrote, this tool is not quite right. I thought, well, what did you write? I thought, I thought you guys would get be along. a perfect match. Or something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we'd get along. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's just, just adorable. 
Um, contact us for show topics, <laughs> suggestions, feedback, all the good stuff. We love hearing from you guys. Info at reclaimedaudiopodcast.com or hit us up on Twitter at Reclaimed Audio. iTunes reviews. Anything five star, we will read. Full stop. Anything full five stars, we will read out loud on the on the podcast. And patreon.com slash reclaimed audio. The best way to get access to the pre-show and keep this podcast alive. Be well, guys, and have a great week. Bye, everybody. Be good.